with some sage advice that was first given by an experienced long-distance runner. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Somewhere out there, there is a finish line. Now, at first, that just seems kind of lighthearted, but if you've ever done some long-distance running, you know that's the kind of thing you need in front of you to go, oh, yeah, there is a finish line here. And, of course, that translates very well to what it means to walk with Jesus because it's not easy. Have you noticed? There's a lot of things that are not in the brochure when you first come to Christ, a lot of things that are totally unexpected. And so we need to remember that there is a finish line. Sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love Life has been compared to a race And life without a goal is like a life without a finish line But a finish line is essential As is having the right goal for life Welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray We're glad you've joined us and our scripture for today's broadcast is a famous one and quite fitting for the beginning of a new year. And if taken to heart, it will help us run our race with no fear. And then at the end of the race, we'll be remembered in a way we would want to be remembered. Here now to help us run well and finish well is Pastor Ed in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We have been working our way through Scripture verse by verse. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. We're only going to do three verses because they're rather well-known, powerful verses. Let's look at them. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, help us to understand Paul's commitment and what you would have us do. Speak to us now from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, memorial. How would you like to be remembered? What is it that you would like to be remembered for? Oh, Pastor, you're talking about death. No, no, I'm talking about how we finish our lives, how we live our life now. Here, Paul is answering that question. It's how he would want to be remembered. And he encases it in a letter written to a young man, and we have the benefit of his wisdom, his encouragement, his advice to a young pastor who is struggling. And the irony of this letter we've seen as we've worked our way through both First Timothy and Second, the great irony is that Paul's in a prison and that he's writing to this young man who is free and struggling in his life. Paul wrote his own epitaph, some have said. This is a very famous set of verses that probably tens of thousands of sermons have been preached on. 
that Paul wrote his own final words as an epitaph, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now, Paul is in a infamous prison in the center of Rome, right next to the, the Roman Senate. It's near the river, it's cold, it's dark, it's damp, and it's a very depressing place. But it just so happens that our tour, of, our study tour, the footsteps of Paul was standing there almost exactly a month ago today. And we went into this prison the dungeon was fed through a single hole. They dropped food down to him. And it was here that Paul is writing this letter. An amazing time together as a group in the church to be able to say, well, this is where Paul walked. He, he stepped right here. A little commercial for the next time we go, you should go too. So Paul writes from this place in the middle of that little hole a word of encouragement, strengthening to this young pastor. Now, historians tell us that they believe that the letter did not even make it to Timothy before Paul was executed. Paul was taken outside the city of Rome sometime during May of 68 AD, we believe, because Nero was emperor at the time, and he died in June. So, Paul, about a month before, was taken to a place now called Three Fountains where he was beheaded. There's all kinds of traditions and stories about the place, but you can visit that today too. So men have written about this epithet that Paul left, the way he wanted to be remembered in many different ways. One kind of famous one was a pastor named Langbridge. Frederick Langbridge was a pastor in Limerick, Ireland, the same place where U2 is from, and they have a church there. But he said famously these words. Two men looked out through the same bars. One saw the mud, but the other saw the stars. What a powerful way to describe what Paul was looking at. He's seen the stars. Actually, he's seen beyond the stars into eternity, and he writes to this young man about it. Another man, Clay Adam Clark, was an expositor, and he wrote this, I have passed through the springtime of my life. I have withstood the heat of the summer. I have culled the fruits of fall, and I am even now enduring the rigors of winter. But at no great distance I see the approach of a new eternal springtime. And then he wrote hallelujah, which was really out of character for a man who was a staunch British sort of commentator. So Paul reminds us when we look at our own life and compared to Paul, we really don't have any big problems compared to what this man went through. And so if we're wise and we're all trying to be, we wanna tune in to the process that brought Paul to this place these powerful words of a great apostle who had lived this. Paul has no regrets. There's no remorse. He reaches the end of his life. He's about ready to die, and he's actually encouraging someone else. He had learned to die well, and few people do. 
I was reading about a long-distance runner, John Bingham, and because I was studying about marathons, because Paul uses a marathon here, we'll see in a moment. Bingham is a rather famous coach of marathon runners, those of you that have tried to do that, 26 miles plus, 385 yards. He has done 40 of them, success, more than 40 successfully, and trained many other people to run them and asked what the secret of his success, he said, as I stand at the starting line, I know that somewhere out there, there is a finish line. Now, at first, that just seems kind of lighthearted, but if you've ever done some long distance running, you know that's the kind of thing you need in front of you to go, oh yeah, there is a finish line here. And of course, that translates very well to what it means to walk with Jesus, because it's not easy, have you noticed? There's a lot of things that are not in the brochure when you first come to Christ. A lot of things that are totally unexpected in your life and in mine. And so we need to remember, remind ourselves, that there is a finish line. And the view from the finish line looking back is always a lot better than just starting the race or halfway through it. So none of us know exactly when that finish line will appear in front of us in life. As we sit here, we're probably thinking, eh, maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and that might be a little optimistic. And in fact, the truth is, none of us know for sure. But we're here, and we're awake, we're vertical, at least most of us, and we have an opportunity to think about this subject, that we all have an appointment with God, and we can't avoid it, and we can't postpone it. How do I want to be remembered? And Paul gives us that insight. We want to be remembered well, so we have to finish well, so we have to run the race well. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Running the race well doesn't happen by accident. Our text tells us how it happened in Paul's life. There's three parts to this section, three verses. They all say a lot. Number one, the present Paul is talking about. He says he has no fears, even though he's right at the edge in verse 6. Then he looks back at the past with no regrets, verse 7. And then the future in verse 8, he has no sorrow. He's looking forward to things that are coming to him. So first we'll look at the present reality at the end of his life in verse 6. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, this doesn't have to be a sad set of verses. In fact, in context, a very joyful Paul that's writing here. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. And we're hearing all about Paul's description of his soon departure. Now with part two of today's lesson, and to explain what's behind the joyful perspective the apostle was describing, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, there's Pastor Ed. He said he's being poured out as a drink offering, and that's a picture from the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, when a person couldn't just come to church like you did without dragging an animal behind it that was going to be sacrificed. Aren't you glad you live in the new covenant and not the old? There would be an awful lot of sheep and goats and bulls out here. And some of us would try and leave the parking lot and then have to go get another goat and come back kind of thing. I'm talking about the parking and getting out of your parking place and without sinning. So in that day, you would bring an animal, let's say it's a lamb, and the 
priest you'd take it to would put his hand on the head of the animal and ask you to put your hand on the head of the animal and that it would be sacrificed and it would be put on the fire and part of it would be completely consumed, part of it would go to the priest, part of it would go to you. But there was an opportunity for you to add to that or pour over it this thing called a drink offering. The first six verses of Numbers 15 describes that. And so it's burning, sometimes called a holocaust. And you would take a cup, a glass, a, a goblet of wine, and you would walk up and you would pour it over the burning sacrifice. Now, it's a very hot fire, of course, and so it would be instantly vaporized. Poof, steam goes up towards heaven. And it's completely consumed, but it smells good. It has a sweet smell to it as it's consumed. And you are saying something to God when you do that. Something like, I gladly give all that I have to the Lord. This sacrifice that I offer is given as a symbol of my wholehearted commitment to God. Nothing is held back. All that I have, I gladly give to the Lamb, to Him, God, Jesus, who died in my place. So this idea of a drink offering is very much total commitment, very much about saying my life is going to be consumed. Let it be consumed in your kingdom, Lord, working for you. Paul had already written about this to the church at Philippi. The book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 17, he writes, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering, literally since I'm being poured out as a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service of your faith, the Philippians, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul's not sad. He's excited to give his life to be spent in the kingdom of God. The guy's unstoppable. He's a challenge to all of us. Now, Paul doesn't see his execution, but rather an offering added, given to God. Now, this next line, the time of my departure, is a very poignant one in the Greek language. The word analusis is the word for departure, and it has three word pictures built into it. It's unusual in Scripture, very common in Koine Greek in, in letters and things that we have from this time. But it only appears one time in the New Testament here, and Paul uses it to describe his own life. But it normally was used to be a picture of a boat, a ship, a sailing ship, whose anchor is being lifted up, the moorings are being loosed, it's attached to a dock, and then the sail is lifted, and the wind catches it, and it departs, it moves off. So it's a sailing term, but it also was a military term. It was used to describe a soldier who has been on a battlefield and fought, and then he pulls up the stakes of his tent, rolls up his tent, and he heads home. Interesting picture in a third way. A man, a woman, who has been carrying a very heavy load for a long period of time, and they finally get to the spot where they're supposed to be, and they let down the load, <clears throat> and then they step back, and they head home. So Paul is saying that it's like a ship finally sailing off towards heaven, that his 
opportunity to leave the battlefield is coming very soon and that he has a burden that he's been carrying faithfully and he's going to set it down and go home. Was Paul afraid to die? <laughs> no, not even a little bit. He had no regrets. He's excited about having been all in, we might say today. He has given it all and he's finally looking for an opportunity to step away from it. He has given everything to the Lord. Uh, I was reading years ago, a pastor who in 1959 died, his name was Sangster, William Sangster, and he died at 59 years old, so it's easy to remember, in 1959 of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. They didn't know what it was in those days, but it was the deteriorating muscular uh, neural uh, disease. They knew he had something, knew it was going to kill him, and he was burdened. He was under that load. And he writes of getting a request from a mother who had a 20-year-old daughter who had just received word that she was losing her eyesight, permanently detached retinas. And the mother asked that he would come to the hospital. And he's thinking, as he's dealing with his own disease, I've got nothing. <laughs> I, I, what am I going to say? And he said, and he came into the room, and this mother is there, and this 20-year-old young lady, they're struggling, and he says, she's just this lovely young lady, and he starts weeping. He can't say anything. He's just choked up, and then the mother starts crying, the young lady starts crying. And finally, the young lady says, God is taking my eyesight. I'm going to be blind. Sexter said he didn't have anything to say, and suddenly he heard the words coming out of his own mouth. Don't let him take it give it to him. Don't let God take your eyesight, but give it to him first. And he said when he said it to her, she said, God, I give you my eyesight. And he said, it hit him so hard, he said, and God, I give you my life, all of it. That's what Paul is talking about here. It's already been settled. He's already given God everything. And in the face of his own struggle, his own disease, if you were, of the influence of the flesh about ready to be healed, he says, I've already done it. It's all taken care of. Why doesn't he care about his life? I think it's okay to say it that way. He's not trying to kill himself, but he's okay with it being given to the Lord and God taking it at any time. He said why in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He said, but none of these things moved me. All the difficulties. He'd been whipped multiple times. He'd been stoned to death. He'd been incarcerated. He'd been in shipwrecks. He said, none of these things moved me, nor do I count my life as dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. Same thing he's saying here. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There's that word again, grace. It keeps coming up. Paul brings it to us over and over again. What's he saying? Salvation is a gift. He didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. Or if you're wondering how you get it, you have to ask for it. It's that simple. Jesus already did it for us. But when you really wrap your heart around that, not just your mind, but when you wrap your heart around that, it motivates you to serve him and to give it away. 
this good news, this gospel, the free grace. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. Paul says, I don't count my life as dear because I received this gift of grace, salvation, to spend eternity with God. Present, he doesn't have any fears. Now, what about the past? Verse 7, I have already, it's all past tense, fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I've already done these things. It's all the past tense, a completed action with continuing results, the Greek tense, verb tense. So the word fought is the Greek word agonizo, where we get our English word agonize. Oh, <laughs> it speaks of struggling in a contest. He's probably referring to the Olympic Games. At that time, the most popular event was wrestling because it had a high cost involved with it. Two men grappling against each other, agonizing to present themselves as the winner and to prevent the other contestant from gouging out their eyes. That's when the whole fight was over. Nice, huh? So it was a brutal pagan time, but Paul is saying, I have agonized. I have stood and fought the best effort. Does that fit Christianity? Oh, yes, very much. In fact, Paul wrote about it to the Ephesians, you remember, the last chapter. If you were with us when we went through the book of Ephesians, Paul describes a Roman soldier his armor as being very much like what God has given you and given me. And he starts and he says, and I put on, as you should put on, the helmet of salvation. Now, imagine what Paul looked like at this point in his life. He's got white hair if he's got hair at all. And he's not a really big man, but he's standing there in this armor. That's the picture I get. And you should go with me just a moment. But think about that helmet of salvation that was given to him. It's got dents in it. <laughs> it's all beat up. It looks like it has gone through a lot, and it has. And so there's hatchet chops in the side, a little bent over. He might not sit quite straight on his head anymore. But he's standing there with this helmet on, and then he describes this breastplate. Think of a Roman gladiator with this breastplate of righteousness, he says. Where do you get righteousness? You get it from Jesus. Paul didn't have any. I don't have any. You don't have any of your own. Romans 5, 17, Paul says it is a gift of righteousness. Well, wait a minute. You got grace as a gift? Yeah. You got righteousness as a gift? Yeah. And in fact, it's all a gift. <laughs> they were even here. So he's got this breastplate, this gift from God. And how's it look? Same thing. All beat up. Got holes in it. It's bent. It's probably a little rusty. It's been all over three continents. As you go down, he's got a belt on. Belt of truth, he said. And it's probably leather, and think of it as the cinch on a saddle around a horse, you know? Sweat-stained, and it, it's a little ragged around the edges. Well, that's what he's been doing. He's been fighting with the belt of truth on for the truth with others. Everything we have is a gift, and God is the great gift giver. We're thankful that he is, and no doubt you are too. Thanks for listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, part of our study in 2 Timothy. 
Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org, or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Then join us for the next Grow in Grace as we continue through the Bible with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your 